So which one are you? Are you a maverick? Are you a misfit? Or are you both? I have found that most people that um, in the kingdom, or let's just say it this way, in churches, um, in the system, in the Americanized version of Christianity, most people who um, don't necessarily play by all the rules, who are, because of that, they are mavericks, they end up being misfits within the standardized approach to Christianity in America. And uh, so if you're a maverick, you're probably a misfit. And not every misfit is a maverick. Some people are misfits because they're weird. <laughs> and they're, they just, uh, they take great pleasure in being kind of odd. But when I'm talking about mavericks and misfits, I'm talking about in the kingdom, people that um, look typically at the institutionalized church and say, you know, that doesn't actually fit within the biblical expression of the kingdom. And because I'm a kingdom woman or I'm a kingdom man, I don't fit within the traditional expression of Christianity in America or wherever you might be listening. Therefore, I'm a maverick. And, um, and if you are not one of those people who, because they are a maverick, they reject the church, they leave all churches, they, you know, just completely give up. That's not a maverick. That's a quitter. Um, and it, by the way, if you are one of those people, I don't mean to sound condemning, but you need to get your butt back in church. You need to get yourself out of the sniveling sidelines where, you know, you got your feelings hurt. Granted, we all have church wounds. I mean, I'm a pastor. I have church wounds. We all got them. If everybody that got wounded by the church quit, I mean, Jesus would have quit. Because there's nobody who's been more wounded by the church than Jesus Christ. His honor and his his um, fame and his glory has not always been recognized by the church. And Jesus has never quit on the church. I mean, in the book of Revelation, he's knocking on the door trying to get back in, even though they shut the door on him. So um, that, that's not a maverick. That's a quitter. And so, guys, uh, I appreciate the fact you got hurt and all that. But, you know, get up. Get up. God forgave you of a ton of stuff that you, uh, you done forgot about. Amen. Um, and you need to be one of those who, who not only forgets the sins that you've been forgiven for, but you need to forgive others and you need to forget the sins that they've committed against you. And you need to get back in the game because the church needs you. You, you may think you don't need the church. I actually think you do, but the church needs you. You've got something to offer. God made you, uh, uniquely for his glory. And if you're isolated and detached and you've given up on the church, um, then you've done something Jesus has never done. Uh, Jesus knows more than anybody what's wrong with the church, and he has not given up on her. As a matter of fact, he's going to keep working on her until she is presented to him a spotless bride. So we're all going to be great in the end. And I would hate to stand before the Lord and have to answer the question of why I gave up on the church when he never did. And so um, I hope that that is not your definition of a maverick. We never want to empower those who have decided that they're not going to have anything to do with the church. We want to recognize that the church needs a lot of work, a lot, a lot, a lot of work. So rather than being somebody who quits, be a reformer and help us to address what's wrong with the church. Okay, thanks for tuning in to Mavericks Misfits. We'll see you next time. No, just kidding. It's not even what I want to talk about today. That was just my four-minute intro. Um, by the way, welcome. Glad you're listening today. Not sure how you found us. If you're a first-time listener, my name is Jeff Lyle. Um, I'm the senior leader at Antioch Outpost in Bethlehem, Georgia. And um, this podcast is what it is. It's just here to get you to think about your relationship with God, 
to think about the expression of it, to think about how you're living for the glory of God and the normal ups and downs and ins and outs of life, and to hopefully um, kind of provoke us unto love and good works. The writer of Hebrews said that, that we're to provoke one another unto love and good works. And that word provoke in the Greek is a word that um, can mean harass. (laughs) So welcome to a podcast that contains holy harassment. I'm glad that you are brave enough to tune in. Um, Guys, I want to talk to the women today. And guys, if you are reaching for your digital device or your radio to turn it off, because I just said I'm talking to the women, stop. Don't be a coward. (laughs) You need to listen to this too. But this is primarily uh, for the daughters of God today. Um, I have had this passage of scripture um, really, I think for over two years. And I actually um, went to preach it at a church um, in North Georgia, in Cornelia, Georgia, several months ago. And uh, the Holy Spirit began moving that service in a different way. And so I had to shelve this passage of Scripture. And I just I thought to myself on the way in this morning, I was like, I feel like I have permission from the Lord to release this on Mavericks and Misfits. I may preach it in a pulpit one day, but um, if I don't, I really just feel like maybe some of the women, my sisters that are listening to the podcast, could could maybe get something from the Lord out of this um, little obscure passage of scripture that I want to read to you from Numbers 27. So we're going way back in time. We're going back to the days of Moses and uh, really kind of the last chapter of Moses. They're out of Egypt. Moses has led the people out of Egypt. They're getting uh, closer to the promised land and Moses is making preparation for Joshua to lead the people over into the promised land. If you'll remember, Moses never got to go over. And uh, Joshua was actually the leader who took the children of Israel into Canaan land and uh, to establish the land uh, for the glory of God and for the inheritance of God's people. But there's this little passage of scripture and um, it contains these five daughters of a guy named Zelophehad. Did you catch that name? Zelophehad. Um, It says in Numbers 27 that the daughters of Zelophehad drew near and their names were Maker, excuse me, their names were Mela, Nola, Hogla, Milka, and Tizra. Whew. Wow. Mela, Noah, Hogla, Milka, and Tizra. These are the five daughters of this guy named Zelophehad. And here's what it says in Numbers 27 too. They stood before Moses and before Eleazar the priest and before the chiefs of all the congregation at the tent of meeting. So these five young women are standing before Moses. Moses is the man, as in part the Red Sea Moses, as in 10 plagues on Egypt Moses, as in the historical great redeemer of ancient Israel, Moses. So she's standing in front of Moses, or she, the daughters of Zelophehad, all five of them are standing before Moses, before the priest, Eliezer, and then it says before the chiefs and all the congregation, and they're standing in front of the tabernacle. So this is a formal meeting. This is like a scene, especially in ancient times, of potential intimidation for these five young women that are standing before all of these men of rank and position and authority and anointing. And these five women get an audience right outside of the tent of the tabernacle. 
And this is what they say in Numbers 27.3. Our father died in the wilderness and he had no sons. And then in verse 4. Why should the name of our father be taken away from his clan because he had no son? Give to us, the five daughters said, give to us a possession among our father's brothers. So let me pause here. So, of course, in ancient Israel, these there's there's the the promised land is about to be divvied up by tribe and within each tribe by the clans and the families and so on. And so these five daughters don't have any brothers and their dad died. And so there's no male to receive the, the family's inheritance in the promised land. And that's just the way the culture was as they're coming out of Egypt. It was a total patriarchal system. So women really didn't have a whole lot of voice, much less a right to claim inheritance. So they're moving into this promised land. Their father dies on the way to the promised land. Um, he didn't do anything wrong. He wasn't judged, the scriptures say in Numbers 27, but he just died. And so they are going to move into the promised land and they have no inheritance because they're women. They have no inheritance. Nothing can come to them based on the way things are. So I love the heart of these women who sense the injustice in their family uh, future. In other words, nothing comes to their father's name. Nothing comes through their father's bloodline to them. Nothing because they're women. And so what do they do? Well, rather than getting bitter, rather than bemoaning the system, rather than pitching a fit, rather than, you know, transitioning to become a man so they can have all things that men have. Yeah, I said it. Um, they, they did what women of faith should do. They got before, in this case, the prophet Moses and said, we need to state our case to you because this is unjust. And so they said, give us a possession, give us daughters, a possession among our father's brothers. So give us the women, something equal that would have come to us if we were men. So verse five of Numbers 27 says, Moses brought their case before Yahweh, before the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, now this wasn't Moses saying, hmm, yeah, sounds like a good idea. No, this is God. God said to Moses, here's what you're going to do. So let me read Numbers 27, six and seven. It says, the Lord said to Moses, the daughters of Zelophehad are right. You shall give them possession of an inheritance among their father's brothers and transfer the inheritance of their father to them. Okay, just pause, recap here. I'm going somewhere with this. Y'all stay with me. Guys, you still tuned in? I know the women are. Guys, you still listening? Because this isn't an application for us too. What God is saying here in ancient Israel's history is, that's right, the inheritance bears that is by decree of God goes to the nation of Israel. These women have no legal claim because of their status as females. And God is hearing the petition of these daughters of Zelophehad, and he hears it. Moses goes in to pray, and God says, those women are right. Those women deserve an inheritance equal to what would have come to them had they been men. Now, I kind of like that, okay? Now, we're going to flash forward a little bit of time. 
Israel goes into the promised land. They have to war. They have to fight. They have to conquer the inhabitants of the promised land. You got to fight for your inheritance, friends. It's yours. But the fact that it's yours does not mean that there's not warfare over it. And so sometimes you, you, when you're waiting on God to hand you the fullness of your inheritance, God's saying, oh, it's yours, but I'm calling you to fight that which opposes the fullness of your inheritance. And so Israel goes in and they conquer all of the inhabitants. They subdue the land and it's time to apportion the land. And so here come Mela and Nola and or Noah and Hogla and Milcah and Tizra, the five daughters of Zelophehad. So now we're in Joshua chapter 17. So Numbers 27 is the original context. And then we flash forward many years later, seven, eight years later to Joshua 17 and here come the five daughters again. They have not forgotten what God spoke of for them. I love that. Like seven years before the land was kind of fully conquered. So it says, now Zelophehad, had the son of Hefer, the son of Gilead, the son of Maker, the son of Manasseh, had no sons. So it's a recap in Joshua 17. It's giving you the story again. He had no sons, but only daughters. And then it lists the names of the daughters again in Joshua 17, 3. And then in Joshua 17, 4. Now Moses is dead and he's, Moses is no longer there. So they approached Eleazar. Now Eleazar was with Moses seven or eight years before when the daughters originally came. So the women hadn't forgotten and they knew who to go to. They said, we're going to go to Eleazar because he was there that day when we first came and he heard what God said to Moses and what Moses said to us. So they approached Eleazar, the priest and Joshua, the son of Nun and the leaders. So here they come again having to fight for it a little bit. They're having to come back. Joshua and Eleazar and the men didn't go seeking them. They had to come again and say, excuse me, need to remind you of something. And so in verse four, they approached the men, which again would have been intimidating, but they didn't seem intimidated. And this is what they said. The Lord commanded Moses to give us an inheritance along with our brothers. So according to the mouth of the Lord, He gave them an inheritance among the brothers of their father. Now, just stop there. That is an amazing picture of what it means for us to view women in the kingdom. I'm talking women viewing women and men viewing women. The phrase is very simple, and I think it speaks to a common reality that we need to um, embrace in the New Testament. That the women get an inheritance alongside of the men that the sisters receive, or in this case, the daughters receive the equal inheritance alongside of their father's brothers. Guys, this is so important. We are witnessing in the world today another strategized attempt by Satan through the culture to rob women. Now, I want you to understand something. There's a lot of oppression in the world. There is a lot of suppression in the world. It's there. It's done by class. It's done by economic status. It's done by through racism. There's a lot of oppression and suppression globally. It's always been the case, but I'm going to make a statement that I want you to consider. There is no single group of people that is and has been more consistently oppressed by the enemy through global cultural means, human means, no other class, more constantly, consistently 
oppressed than women. That is the case. In every society for all of time, women have been the most depressed. Now in America, the response to that in the last 60 years has been, okay, we've got the Equal Rights Amendment. We've got women's liberation movement back in the 1970s. Then we have um, modern day feminism. And then ultimately what we ended up with is women feeling like they had to be masculinized in order to achieve and receive what men receive. And so what we have in the culture today is we have an incredible boatload of um, women, I'm not talking about in the kingdom, I'm talking about in the church, it shouldn't be in the kingdom, who feel like they must become like men in order to get what men receive. Now, that in and of itself is a standalone topic about because feminism, the modern feminism movement, has nothing to do with biblical uh, womanhood. Nothing. It is a prostituted uh, version of, of Satan trying to get women to gain through illegitimate means what God has granted women through spiritual means. But that's a separate topic. The, the, the topic that I'm really thinking about is, do you see what's happening today through the transgender movement? Do, do you recognize that this, it's insane, by the way, it's absolutely insane. It's unreasonable. It's not rooted in science. It's not rooted in reality. But we are now in a culture where men, males, human beings with penises and body structure that is typically, generally, stronger and more physically superior to women, they now say, we are going to introduce ourselves into the world of women's events and sports. And so that's only one part of it, but I'm going to hit that for a minute. So men, they're men. I don't care what they feel like. I don't care what they identify as. They're men. They're very confused men. And they have said, we are going to compete. I've seen it in boxing. You've seen the social media stuff where a man's fractured the skull of a woman in a boxing match. He was fighting a woman to saying that he was a woman. A transgender man who identifies as a woman gets into a woman's boxing league and fractures her skull. And then, of course, we all know about the swimming and the, um, you know, the collegiate records that were broken by a man who declared that he's a woman. And then we're seeing it in all sorts of athletic events all across the country. And now we've got men invading women's lockers, locker rooms. We've got men who say, no, I'm not a man. It doesn't matter that I have a penis. It doesn't matter that I'm bigger and stronger. It doesn't matter that I am actually male, but I identify as a woman. So I'm going to intrude to go into women's dressing rooms, women's uh, locker rooms, women's uh, changing rooms. And then we're going to take you out of sports. We're, we're going to literally bring our male superior strength and we're going to force you out of sports. And then, of course, you know, you've got men that are now saying um, there are women in every sort of the way. I mean, this is crazy stuff. You know, some of it's just a, not it's beyond annoying. It's it's deviant. Um you know, you've got these guys that are posting on TikTok and, you know, Instagram that these men, they're men. And and they're going and they're they're talking about their period cramps. I mean, this is insane. So now, being female is not even a woman's domain. 
So why do I say all of this? And what does this have to do with the daughters of Zelophehad? Well, what I'm trying to tell you is as Satan and the demonic realm are moving um, aggressively to steal everything they can from women. And you got to remember, it was the woman that Satan went after in the garden. There's something about the Imago Dei, the image of God in a woman that seems to infuriate Satan more so even than the Imago Dei, the image of God in males. Women are hated. Maybe it's because through a woman, the Messiah was born. Maybe it's because God views the church as his bride. It's a female term. Um, there are probably countless demonic reasons why Satan hates women, but he's not just sitting around fuming about women. He's seeking to aggressively exterminate the glory of God from the daughters of God. So sisters, God has an inheritance for you. And it's equal to that of your brothers. No, I know you're living in a world where equality is not recognized in every arena. I'm not talking about the world. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the kingdom. I'm talking about identity. I'm talking about who you are. I'm talking about what God has decreed over you as a daughter. Now, I want to say a couple of things that will probably require even the, the women who are right now motivated in what I'm saying, you're, you're listening, but I want you to understand, I believe in male headship as specified in the scripture. Yes, I believe in male headship in the home. I believe in male headship in the church, but that does not mean, and this is such a terrible divisive point in the church. Do I believe in male headship in the church? Yeah, I think the Bible is actually fairly clear in that. But what does that mean? You have to mine down into the details to figure out what you can't just throw that out, male headship in the church, and not talk about, well, what does that mean with God give women who have God-given leadership gifts, God-given prophetic gifts, God-given teaching gifts, God-given um, uh, preaching gifts, God-given anointing for ministry. I mean, that God equips his daughters with, through the Holy Spirit with the same types of gifts that men have. So you can't just say women can't lead because you can't base that in scripture. And so, whereas I do believe in male headship in the home, in the church, that doesn't mean that women don't have an inheritance that involves an anointing to make a difference, to facilitate change, to serve as a catalytic leader. Why, why, do, why can I say these things? Because at times they sound like they conflict. Well, it just means that there are roles. There are roles within the kingdom, within the church, that we need to slow down and honor the heart and the wisdom of God when God says, okay, this role should be for a man. Now, I'm going to tell you this at the risk of getting a little off track and also at the risk of maybe alienating some of you. I believe in the, the, the one area where God, excuse me, where God uh, regulates male headship and only male headship is in the area of elders. That's it. I see, I see Junia, a female apostle, 
we clearly know that the daughters of God are going to prophesy. So there's female prophets, both in the scripture and you can deduce from the scripture that there will continue to be women of God, daughters of God that prophesy all throughout the end of the age up to the, and through the end of the age. Um, I believe that women can teach. I believe that women can preach. I believe that women can move in any anointing. The only place where I see no biblical wobble room is this issue of eldership. And while that's not my focus of topic today, what I'm trying to say is God in his wisdom for reasons unknown fully to us reserves biblical eldership for males. Everything else, open game. And so when we look at this and we look at the church today, my question is this, where are the daughters of Zelophehad saying to the father and brothers, where are we backing them saying, give us an inheritance alongside of our brothers? If God has given something to a woman who in the world, whether male or female, has the right to withstand, oppose, or deny that? And what I believe is happening as Satan is aggressively seeking to further oppress, if not exterminate the female role in the world today, what I see is the hand of God saying, watch what I'm about to do. And it brings to mind passages like, um, well, you've got Acts chapter two, the day of Pentecost, where of course Peter is preaching and under an, an amazing anointing, and he's quoting Joel too. And what Peter says is the inauguration of the church at its initial baptism with the spirit signified the inauguration of of the season where God would pour out his spirit. And this is what is prophesied in Joel 2 and is repeated in Acts 2. It says, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. So that means the outpouring of the Holy Spirit will characterize the time from Pentecost up into the time of the second coming of Jesus Christ. Those are the last days. And the results of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on all people is that your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And by the way, that word prophesy in the Greek translated in, into uh, the Greek word translated to prophesy in Acts 2.17 is a word that means proclaim God's message. It means to preach. It means to prophesy. It means to predict with authority. It means to speak God's message intelligibly or to use prophetic insights to make something known. <laughs> and yet we have massive components of the church that tell women they can't preach. Guys, I love you, but you're wrong. How can God say that the women will prophesy? And what that word prophesy means is not just simply foretell the future, some crystal ball, new age kind of mindset. No, it means preach. It means speak on behalf of God. That's what the Bible says. It goes on to say your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams on my male servants and my female servants. God says my servants. My daughters, my female servants, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. So nobody questions whether the men can do it, but they question whether the women can do it. And some even oppose whether or not a women, women can speak and lead and preach and prophesy and teach. 
And I understand there are New Testament verses that kind of make us slow down and think in what arena can a woman do this? And by the way, if you're interested, go back at maverickmisfit.com, scroll back, I don't know, a few months, maybe four or five months. I did like six or seven episodes on women in ministry. Go listen to those. I'm not going to re-preach them here, but they're in the archives. Um, I think it was like August of 2022, maybe that I did those maybe 2021, I can't remember, but go back and look for those women in ministry podcasts and listen to them because I deal with all those troubling passages of scripture. And no matter what you think about those, I'm going to tell you, you're going to have a hard time overriding what the Bible says at the 10,000 foot view about how God has and will use women in the kingdom. I also think about Galatians chapter number three, where it's very, and this is, this is basically a, a statement about no distinction between men and women when it comes to being redeemed and being saved. It doesn't have anything to do with expressions of sexuality. doesn't have any application whatsoever for people to say, aha, see, there is no gender distinction in the Bible. That's what this verse is hijacked to. Let me read it to you. It says in Galatians 3.28, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. That's Galatians 3.28. So when it comes to the value, the identity, the worth of the people of God, there's no distinction. God makes no distinction between sons and daughters. It's not like A team and B team. And I know we probably would never say that, but man, I'm a little concerned that the church lives with that. I really am. Um, I think, you know, when... When, when Peter is writing later, he's writing to, to men, and I speak to husbands in particular in this. Guys, you need, to, you need to know this about your wife. I have seen this verse played out in my life to my own detriment um, in, in seasons past, especially early on in our marriage. First Peter 3, 7 says, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. You got to understand your woman. And she is hard to understand. And the sister said, amen. And the brother said, oh, me. Yeah, you, you have to work at understanding the complexity of your wife. And it says, show honor to her as the weaker vessel. And that weaker is not inferior. I tell people all the time, I use this illustration. Um, I've got some ceramic plates in my house. And they're way more, more sturdy than China. Fine china is more fragile. It's a weaker vessel, but it's also way more valuable. And so women are seen in that fine china kind of way compared to men. Men are more durable. Women are more fragile, but there is a greater delicacy and and, uh, value, if I can say it that way. Um, that we should place upon our wives as the fine china. We're, we're Tupperware guys, you know, we can throw us against the wall and we won't break, but oh, you do that to your wife. You treat your wife in a less than understanding way. God says, that's my daughter. God says, show honor to her. Why? Because of the next phrase, it's incredibly important because they are heirs with you of the grace of life. That means equal heirs, joint heirs, no distinction between the sons of God and the daughters of God in function and in roles. There are some things that men and women cannot do across the line, the gender line. I mean, frankly, there's some things that men cannot do. God did not allow men to, uh, 
to conceive a baby, to bring forth a baby, to nurse a baby. In spite of what the modern society says, ain't no man having a baby. And God has reserved some things to women. Women are far superior than men in many things. And somehow this is now a competition where women feel like they have to be manly and they compete in the church. Well, Jeff, there's fewer, fewer opportunities available for women. Well, let me just tell you something, ladies, let me preach to you for a minute. You got a calling on your life. You got an anointing on your life and you're trying to aggressively assert yourself in order to find that limited space. You're not trusting God. You're trying to make something happen because you recognize it's harder for you. And it is. It is harder in the church for a woman to be valued for her God-given leadership gifts and abilities. It is harder. That's why I'm doing this podcast, because I'm saying to the brothers, you better watch it, son. But I'm now saying to the women, daughter of God, Jesus opens the doors that no man can shut. And Jesus shuts doors that nobody can open. You need to live with that. You need to get that in your spirit. That there is no opportunity ordained by God for you that any human being, any man or any other woman can stop you from walking through. If God has ordained it and you are walking in the will of God, it's going to happen. It is going to happen. So you don't have to become manly. It, it, it kills me sometimes to watch women that have legitimate anointings and giftings for leadership and preaching, but they masculinize themselves when they are in public use of those gifts. They, they are afraid to be feminine. They're afraid to be female because it's not valued. And so the, the, you take my wife, for instance, Amy's a powerhouse. Amy's a powerhouse. You'll never see her fighting for position. You'll never see her fighting for a platform. As a matter of fact, she doesn't really want a platform. She has to be kind of thrust forward by the Lord. The Lord almost has to make Amy put herself out there because Amy does not want to be a spotlight person. And she's got incredible gifts and God uses her every single time she speaks or ministers publicly every single time. But the reason why my, my wife finds regular promotion and favor from God, Amy's got way more favor on her life than I do. She does. And I believe the reason why she has favor is because she's not fighting for herself. She's not trying to make anything happen. She, she literally rests in the Lord and says, if God wants me to walk through a door, he's going to open it and I will walk through it. And you contrast that with a lot of women in the church who are just scrambling and fighting and they become so manly, man. And I'm just saying, ladies, be like the daughters of Zelophehad and go before the Lord and say, Lord, you've given me this anointing. You've given me this gift. You've given me this calling. And Lord, it's unjust that there might be some people in the way of that. So I'm just asking you, Lord, as you took care of my five ancient Israelite sisters, Mela, Noah, Hogla, Milka, and Tizra, Lord, as you took care of them and you gave them what you had ordained through their bloodline, take care of what gets in my way and I'll wait on you, Lord, and I'll use my gifts wherever I can. By the way, ladies, don't ever forget about your home. If you crave a platform more than you crave pouring into your family, your husband, serving him. Yep, you heard me. 
I don't want to hear anything about a woman's leadership gifts if she is completely, flagrantly dismissing her call to pour into her home. You're, you're backwards. If you're craving public church ministry and you are not willing to sacrifice and serve your husband and your children, you're, you're backwards. You've got to do it God's way. Look, there's, there's hundreds of women in the church that can do a role that you may not be able to do while your children are little. So you may have a calling at age 24 and not be released fully into that calling until you're in your 40s. Can you wait on God? Now, there may be times where you can do both. It's rare. I've, ne- I've rarely seen a woman excel in public kingdom ministry at a high level without it being a detriment to her children. But it can, it can be done. You have to have an exceptional husband and probably a lot of help. It can be done. But most of the time, God says, go ahead, serve your husband and your children. Wait on me to release you into public ministry. And I do believe this. I'll prophesy this and then my time's gone. I went a little long today. Um, I'll prophesy that we're about to see the uncorking of the bottle. And just like when you uncork a bottle of champagne and it explodes, I think the cork's about to come out. And we're going to see a lot of women stepping into new anointings. And it is going to be in their home. And it's going to be from their home into the church, into the kingdom, into the, into the world in the sense of redeeming ministry. And you're going to see it happen. But ladies, I'm, just, I'm, I'm not even like charging you. I'm asking you, please be a woman. Please. Please don't talk like a man. Don't preach like a man. Don't act masculine. Now, look, if that's the way you're wired, okay, whatever. But I'm talking about the idea that you have to step into a normally held male role and then kind of act like a man. It's weird. We need that feminine anointing back in the church today. We need women's hearts. Don't let this world make you coarse, hard. A lot of women that want to be strong end up being hard. They're not the same thing. We need what it means to be a, we need to see it, a biblical woman, a daughter of God, a wife, a mother, a sister. Let the men be manly. And guys, by the way, (laughs) Second podcast, maybe I'll do one for the men. But guys, you need to be a man. We need some testosterone. Amen? We, we do. We, we, we need men with spines. I'd say it a different way if it was an all-male audience, but we need to grow a spine. And ladies, man, we are lacking that beautiful, gracious, feminine model. It doesn't make you weak. It just makes you stronger in the very thing that God has created you to be. I hope you've been encouraged today. I hope you've been challenged. Um, If you have, feel free to write me at jeff at maverickmisfit.com. Don't forget I mentioned those five or six podcasts I did. I think it was last year. Just scroll back on maverickmisfit.com or if you're listening by podcast uh, on iTunes or Spotify, it's way back in the archives, but you'll see them. Uh, I think the first one's called Women in Ministry or it's called The Big Picture or something like that. But listen to those things and um, I, I want you to be bold and I want you to be confident in your calling. But in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for his glory, let's go ahead and reestablish those beautiful gender lines, the equality that we have, but gosh, the distinction that we have 
between male and female. That's got to come back to the church. All right, my time's gone. I went a little long today, and I hope you'll continue to tune in. We drop a new episode every Tuesday, and we'll talk to you next time on Mavericks and Misfits. Thank you for listening to today's Mavericks and Misfits podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review Mavericks and Misfits with Jeff Lyle on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Your review helps us to reach more people and spread the unfiltered message of Jesus. And don't forget that you can connect with Jeff's social media links at maverickmisfit.com. We look forward to reconnecting with you on our next episode.